Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome in, everybody. This is Thurl Talk. And if you didn't know it yet, I'm Thurl Bailey. Um, I'm so happy to have you guys back. I hope you enjoyed last week's podcast with Stedman Graham. And I'm about to have some fun here because, um, you know, I work for the Utah Jazz. I'm a broadcaster. I work with some good people. And normally we're not supposed to, like, pick favorites, right? We're supposed to broadcast the game and, you know, we don't let the public know, you know, the guys that, that we put at kind of the top of that list. And I can tell you right now, that whole Utah Jazz squad something special. Um, I was telling uh, you guys last week that I took a hiatus because of my jazz responsibilities, and then I needed an extra week to get out of depression because the jazz got knocked out by the Denver Nuggets. Well, today on the show, to explain the reason why— No, I'm kidding. Today on the show, (laughs) one of those players at the top of my list, one of my very favorite people, George Niang, wingman for the Utah Jazz. George, welcome to the show, my friend. Uh, Thank you so much for uh, having me on, too. I don't know if I could give a thorough explanation, but if the Clippers fall the same way, then they can probably hop on the podcast and give you one. (laughs) You're exactly right, man. So, you know, obviously we we want to talk about – I want to find out from you first, uh, you know, with the pandemic, we know what that had on the season. But how are you doing – personally through all this i know you were in the bubble for a while and we'll get into that but how are you doing man i'm doing great i'm doing great obviously it's a little bittersweet you know you get to see your family after really almost a full year of you know basketball waiting training you know getting ready to play with the you know the hiatus and the and the pandemic so uh I was telling someone earlier I was uh, happy to be home until my mom started telling me that I had to start picking up after myself <laughs> when I was back home. So I was like, "Man, the bubble wasn't that bad." <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm enjoying I'm enjoying myself. I uh, I really um you know had some time to just decompress and you know be with family. You know since I missed that opportunity with the pandemic and it's it, it's been solid. But uh, I can't lie to you. Obviously, watching the games on TV. Uh, I wish I was back there, and I wish we were, you know, competing for a championship. So you're different than I am, man. You know, when I played and we we got knocked out, I didn't watch TV. I, I couldn't bear. I couldn't even bear to turn it on, just because we weren't there. I know it was kind of selfish. I may have I may have 
walk walk by the TV or something to look real quick. But does it does it affect you like that too? I mean, it's like, man, we should be there. Yeah. Well, Sarah, let me tell you this. You know, I, I try to use things as uh, motivation and not let it eat away at me. But I, I kind of even store it in the back of my mind. You know, whenever a rep gets hard two months down the line, I think of that feeling that I have sitting on the couch and, and being pissed off that, you know, we're not there. And yeah. I kind of try to ingrain that in my mind when I'm doing one last sprint or, or one last rep and push myself to be like, you don't want to be back here. So this is what you need to do to stop yourself from being back and feeling this uncomfortable feeling. I love it. I love it. Let's go back pre pandemic. Um, you guys were on the roll. I mean, I, you, you could tell things were coming together. I was traveling on the road with you guys to some games. But, um, you know, you come back and you have the fans there. Um, let's talk about that flow um, and kind of juxtapose it to playing in a bubble with no fans, with virtual fans. I don't even know how that had an effect on you. But talk about the difference between it. I mean, there was really no home court advantage, right? I mean, all the – visual stuff may have said you were the home team, but um, how did it feel as a team? Yeah, I mean, when you when you think about a playoff series, realistically, there, there was no difference, uh, you know, besides them pumping in noises. And I don't think you really noticed that. Like, this, this uh, you know, bubble situation kind of really exposed me to how valuable fans are with the swaying of energy, with being able to distract, you know, players, professionals that are in a zone. And a fan may say something, you know, that that throws a player off because, as you see, you know, in the bubble, guys go for 50, 40 points, and they're just in a zone. And that's the thing I've always told people about professionals is, like, when they're in a zone, it's so tough to break their, you know, concentration. But that's what fans are there for, you know, whether it's the cheering, the yelling, the screaming, uh, the stoppage of play. Just their natural energy, you know, throws guys off. And as you can see with Donovan and, and Jamal Murray, those guys were so locked in that, you know, they weren't they weren't missing. It was it was like pickups in the summer. Um, but needless to say, pre-pandemic, you know, I thought we were really rolling as a team. Um, we were playing really well, kind of finding our stride, especially with, you know, Jordan Clarkson who came along in December. Um, obviously, we can't control what had happened with the pandemic, but. I think for the most part we did a great job of, you know, staying in shape and getting guys ready to, you know, be able to play again. Obviously it was unfortunate that Boyan couldn't be down there with us because he's a huge piece of our team. But that being said, I, I thought we battled hard. Um, obviously, you know, it's known to everyone we gave up a, a 3-1 lead, and uh, that still stings. It stings talking about it just because uh, we know – what we had and you know it would have been nice to push that into the second round but i told someone before playoff experience is real and now next year we're going in and we're going to know that the closeout game is going to be the hardest game of the series that's that's the game where you need to come in and pound your opponent so bad that they think that getting up isn't the best option yeah and that's how you're going to have to put out teams from now on well you know you just talked about a a couple of star players. You talked about um, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy. Uh, and you look at Jamal Murray on the other team and obviously Jokic. Um, but for me, you know, as when I played this game, 
the focus is always going to be on those guys probably initially to see if you can stop them. But I think one of the huge successes for teams are the guys who can be impactful that aren't the stars necessarily night in and night out. Um, I think I know you're one of those guys. So I'm going to focus a little bit more on you because I, you know, I, I like to, you know, I like to watch those other guys do their thing. But the important thing for me is for guys like yourself, guys like Jordan, um, you know, other supporting guys to be able to come in and, you know, and, and, and do a great job as well, or even a better job sometimes than a lot of the starters do. And I, I thought you struggled a little bit shooting early on that every player does, every player goes through. How do you, how do you keep a, a great mentality and, and get that back? It's interesting because I saw the, they had the cameras on you during timeouts and doing commercial breaks, and I would, I would kind of be able to watch your preparation, you and other guys who were going to come off the bench. Um, how is that mentality, especially being in that place, trying to get back to, to what you normally are, are capable of doing? Um, you know, that's a, that's a really good question. Uh, I think the best thing is you have to be mentally locked in at all times. Uh, you kind of have to read the game before you're going in. And you know as a player, I mean, that's, that's what you're looking for. You're, you're seeing how pick-and-roll coverages are being guarded. You're seeing what shots are going to be open. Uh, Denver, uh, you know, I'll just base it off how our series and how I was looking at it. I got a lot of corner threes, and Denver was, uh, you know, they're a team that really sinks in and really wants to stop Rudy from scoring at the rim. So I knew I was going to have a lot of corner threes. So I think it's just mentally preparing yourself where you think you're going to get your shots, where you think you can help, or who should I be more aggressive on on defense. Uh, I know you touched on it. Um, you know, I was struggling early on shooting. Um, I think the biggest thing is you just have to know yourself. And yeah. uh, I actually had to – I don't want to have to say it coming to Jesus, but you know, when you're down the bubble, there's, there's, there were some things that, you know, Oh, I can want to rest my body and do this and that. But I came back to realizing what got me to where I was uh, today. And that's just continuous work. And I, I think the biggest lesson I learned is no matter if you struggle, you don't play well, what got you to this point? And what got me to this point was endless work, tireless work. And why am I going to stop now and, and relax you know, just because I'm here and I was struggling and I thought maybe I just need a mental break, but no, it was, I just needed to continue to consistently put in work. And that's the thing is there are days, you know, that, that were hard for me down there, yeah. but I, I always knew if I continue to, you know, show up every day and put in a little extra work that, you know, either towards the end of the series or a couple games towards the end of the seeding games that I'd start playing a little better. And it, it stinks because I felt like I was finally clicking. Yes, uh, you were. Especially with shooting the ball. And, you know, we uh, couldn't close the series out. And here's what I liked about you, George. Um, I, I always pay attention to detail because when if most people are thinking that, I mean, your job, one of your major jobs is to knock that three-point shot down. However, I noticed that you weren't one-dimensional. You could do other things, and you, you took the ball to the basket, and you were very, very good at it. Matter of fact, you made a college career out of it and I was it was happy to see that because I tell players all the time listen if, if you're you're struggling at a certain part of the game there are other things that you can do to be effective uh, not just offensively but defensively as well and I think that's one of the things that I thought brought you out of that 
And not just that, but seeing other guys, right? Sometimes when a guy goes in before you or you see the starters do something, you want to continue that when you go in. There's a part of you that connects with that. Um, And I saw you get on a roll. I can't remember which game it was, but um, you came in and Bowler and I were talking about the game before where uh, we were hoping that that this game would be a breakout game for you, and and it was um, because you came in rolling and not just hitting threes, but your defense was there. Um, you were going to the basket, making those moves you do. Uh, so it was great to see you do that as well. Yeah, no, uh, it, it it is true. You know, you have to find uh, ways to kind of get yourself in the game, right? Yep. Whether that's, you know, if I'm sitting on the bench and Jordan Clarkson goes in before me and he's getting it rolling, then I know, you know, my job out there is to give Jordan space or, you know what I mean, be a little more aggressive on defense because I know that he's going to be taking the workload on the offensive end. Um, but I got to give a ton of credit, you know, to uh, Coach Snyder. You know, he does a great job of really um, – closely paying attention to the pulse of the team. And, you know, at certain points of the season, guys need little pick-me-ups or pieces of advice. And for the whole time that I've been here, he's done a great job of reading the pulse of the team and make sure guys are emotionally invested, not just, you know, physically there. And I think that's a huge piece into why everyone finds their role and accepts their role. Not many teams, you know, have that. And I think, with our team, we know what to expect out of each guy every night, and that kind of makes it easy, you know, on all of us to know where we need to be and what we need to do and what part of the equation we need to help solve uh, to help win each other's games. So I, I give a lot of credit, you know, to Coach uh, with, you know, instilling that confidence and, and being real vocal with us, you know, uh, and I think that's really important, you know, and people don't get to see that yeah. because a lot of it's done behind closed doors but he does a great job of engaging with us and letting us know what he needs from us and what our teammates need from, from what we need from each other uh, to build a winning recipe. Yeah, that communication is vital. Before we take a break, I want to touch on a subject about unity, about the players in the league coming together for social justice. I mean, it played out on television, obviously on national TV, um, the NBA and its players and the NBPA taking a stand on social justice. Obviously, a lot of people have have a lot of different opinions about the actual vehicle or the actual movement. Um, I want to get your take on it because you and I, we've had some conversations between us about, uh, you know, local things, uh, you know, being black or being a person of color in the Utah community. So I wanted to get your take on that, how that kind of came together and and, and how you felt as time went by and as the league really jumped on board, it turned out. Yeah, you know, it was, uh, I don't know how to explain how, how my first emotions were when it first happened with uh, Milwaukee. You know, I, I was kind of shocked. I didn't, I didn't see it coming, but I think a lot of good came out of it, um, you know, because – I was talking to one person and they told me while I was down in the bubble and they were saying, you know, we're using our interviews to invest in the cops that kills Breonna Taylor and, you know, remembering George Floyd. But at some point it felt like we were getting tuned out. And I think it was a 
it was a it was a good point for us, you know, to have a stoppage to let the world know that just because there's basketball going on, we can't forget what's going on in everyday life and right. what's important. And I think the owners have done a great job um, with listening to us. And, you know, I, I know one of the biggest things was getting out and voting. And I think I'm not don't quote me on this, but I think a majority or not, if all owners are opening up the arenas, you know, yep. for a voting it is all. Thing, which I, which I think, yes, yeah, all of them, which is, which is huge. And, and there are a couple, uh, you know, smaller things that, you know, that we're, I'm not going to go into detail that the owners listened to us and um, decided to really push forward that and, and take a stand with social justice that, you know, we can really make change. Um, and I think the, the coolest thing that Gail Miller did um, and Coach Quinn is the next day we have, you know, Spencer Cox on the phone. Aaron Mendenhall and a bunch of other, you know, representatives of the state of Utah, you know, asking us, um, how can we be better? Yes. Uh, these are the problems that we have. And this is how you guys can help fix them. Um, anytime you're in town, please come meet with us. And now it puts the onus on us, us players of how bad do we really want it? You know, if we really stand for social change, um, then we need to go forward in our communities that we play in and the ones that we live in in the off season and where we grew up and continue to have these meetings, uh, to break down these barriers, um, to create change. And now it's on us because they're giving us opportunities, they're putting in con- us in contact with the people that make decisions and have the power to, you know, have change. And now it's on us to really get out there and put our foot down and put in what we think can help. And I think uh, once those people have power, you know, continue to keep listening, I, I think we're taking a step in the right direction. Well said. Well said, George. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to dive a little bit into George Niang's young life growing up in Lawrence, Massachusetts. We'll be right back. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do when a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything it was violent it was senseless and i will never understand it i will never accept it i'm amy donaldson and unfortunately we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives but what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt in a new podcast the letter we relive tragedy but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. Thorough Talk. Thorough Bailey here talking to the minivan, George Niang. Now, we, we need to, we need to uh, enlighten people on that because I think I remember an interview. Maybe it was with Kristen Kinney and you were talking about players and, and associating their games with 
with different exotic cars. And you became the self-proclaimed, as I remember, minivan. And you're proud of that, George. I think. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes, I yes, yes, I am. You know, I, I, I tell people the, the best attribute I have is I'm able to laugh at myself about how, uh, how ridiculous I am sometimes. So the, the story, it was, it was an interview in, uh, in Washington. We, we had an East Coast road trip. Uh, I think we were playing the Wizards. And it was before the game. And we had a game, I think it was two nights before, we were playing the Brooklyn Nets. And it was a blowout, and uh, I hadn't played much in the second half, and I got in towards the end, and I had a chance to go up and dunk it. And I went up there, and Thurl, you know how it is when you get up there sometimes, and <laughs> not quite high enough. And I just uh, fingertip dunked it, laid it in, whatever you want to call it, and all my teammates were giving me crap back in the locker room. And I think Kristen was around, and, and uh, I said, listen, I know all you guys are like Ferraris, but I'm more like a minivan. I need a couple laps around the block before I get going. <laughs> well, it's a thing. It's a thing, man. And I, I can probably... Oh, it's taken off. I can probably guarantee you this. Minivan sales went up tremendously in Utah. I, oh. I, I'm sure of it. <laughs> they, they did, sir. I, I told them to buy stock early because late, there's no promise that it'll be there. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, let's jump back a little bit. Lawrence, Massachusetts, growing up. Yep. Talk to me about your upbringing, uh, what kind of family you were raised in, and uh, how many whoopings you got, because I know you got some growing up. (laughs) (laughs) Am I allowed to talk about that on Thorough Talk? Absolutely. That's why why it's called Thorough Talk, my man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, So I actually grew up... uh, I was born in Lawrence. Uh, I grew up in the, in the next town over called Methuen, Massachusetts. Um, my mom and dad were together probably till I was about in second grade. My dad uh, is a Navy uh, merchant marine. So he was, uh, you know, traveling and, and sent on uh, deployments constantly. And my mom did a great job of, you know, holding down the house uh, until both of them uh split and uh, my dad was you know heavily involved in my life he, he ended up moving down to norfolk virginia uh that's where his base was for the navy and, and me and him have a, a great relationship going forward uh you know I, I played a bunch of sports as a kid lacrosse soccer hockey ice hockey you name it uh, wow. i was trying to do it my my mom literally uh was a woman who just was all about my happiness she sacrificed her happiness just to make sure that i was happy whether it was going to a friend's house you know going to the mall or doing something, she always put me ahead of anyone. So uh, that is uh, that is my woman. That's my rock. She is she is the best. Uh, but, you know, I was lucky enough uh, to be pretty good at basketball in, in middle school, and I ended up uh, deciding to go away uh, for high school. I went to a boarding school called the Tilton School in Tilton, New Hampshire, which is about an hour and 30 minutes from Boston, Massachusetts. And... It really helped me grow up. I was 13 years old, um, a freshman in high school, living on my own in a dorm with a bunch of other 13-year-old kids, and it it made me grow up. Like I told you, my mom did, you know, a lot for me, and I was forced to learn how to do my own laundry. Uh, Literally, the first week of school, the laundry room was in the basement of of one of the dormitories, and I had to, like, walk across the yard to get there and, 
my mom was explaining to me how to do my whites and my reds or my colors. <laughs> and, of course, you know, I put them all together in one. My white polo has red streaks down it. And, you know, I wasn't really a big fan of laundry, but um, it taught me how to grow up uh, really, really fast. And it, it made my transition to college uh, where I ended up going to Iowa State, you know, really easy. And I met a ton of uh, great people. Um, and before I finish, you know, the my my story, I just want to chime in and, and say, you know, I went through a lot of stuff uh, with basketball and, you know, kind of being told I wasn't going to be good enough. Uh, you know, people thought I would never play Division One. They'd say, oh, he'd be a good Division Three player or he'll, he'll be a Division Two player. And once I made it Division One, uh, I thought about all the sacrifices that I made. And, you know, when I talk to young kids, the, the biggest thing I want to tell them is, like, if it was easy, you know, everyone's going to be doing it. There are a lot of times where I didn't know if I was going to make it or this was really hard and maybe this wasn't meant for me. But the one thing I want to tell young kids is that you're going to have those days. You're going to have bad days. But that's when the growth comes. Think yeah. about your bad days as you're growing even more. Because if everyone had a good day, everyone would be a Division One basketball player or right. a professional basketball player. And Going forward, you're going to look back at your life and knowing that you sacrificed and put that work in, I hope that you know that it's going to be worth it because it was worth it for me. You find what you love and you put enough work into it, it's going to be worth it at the end. Um, that being said, I was lucky enough to play four years at Iowa State, uh, three of them with Fred Hoiberg uh, as the head coach, two with Steve Prohm. I was drafted 50th uh, by the Indiana Pacers and – uh, I'll, I'll wrap the story up here, Thurl, because everybody knows that you know I was on the I've been on the Jazz for um, almost three seasons now. Um, when I was when I was looking at my goals when I was younger, and I'd always put I'd want to make it to the NBA, and I kick myself every day because I wish that I said I want to be X or I want to be this in the NBA because once I made it to the NBA on draft night, I didn't envision myself. I never had really envisioned myself being something in the NBA. Right. And I think that's why my first year I thought I was, it was just going to happen. But that showed me in the next chapter of my life when, when I was lucky enough to get onto the Utah Jazz, no, you have to go out there and make it happen. Nothing is going to be given to you. You have to go out there and show people what you can bring to the table night in and night out. And, and consistency, showing up every day and working hard. Those are the two things, you know, I feel like, you can control. The rest is out of your control, but I'm, I know for a fact if you show up and work your tail off every day, good things are going to happen. George, what, what, is, what do you think the difference is, though? I mean, you, you think about the millions of young men that want to be professional players, right? And there are a lot of great players that don't make it. Um, there are a lot of people out there that work hard. There are a lot of people out there that may not work as hard as others. But I look at your journey, because that's what this show's about. This show is about George Niang's journey and what he can teach someone listening. And, you know, you talked about your upbringing, and you talked about, you know, your dad's time in your life and your mom raising you. Um, I had Stephen Graham, Graham on last week, and he we talked about identity, right? Finding your identity and... and and what drives you to whatever you want and not making excuses. So as you look at your life and the I mean you've you've had an incredible journey, man. I mean, I'm looking at the Carl Malone Award 
is is a, an award given to the best power forward in Division One basketball. And you know, you're six seven, and you win this power forward award. I, I, talk to me about that first of all, because that's in the hard, that's a hard award to get. There are guys who are bigger and stronger than you that most people would look at and say, well, you know, George Niang won the Power Forward Award? Hey, you better, you better check your stats. George Niang was a player. So I guess my question to you is how did you differentiate yourself? How did you make that journey different for you? Is it, is it some of it about luck? Is it about time and place? Or is it really just about working your butt off and being in the best position you can? Uh, you know, my uncle told me at a young age who has who been instrumental in my life, my, my mom's uh, brother, you know, hard work creates good luck. And, you know, the more you show up, uh, the more you do it, uh, you know, good things seem to happen to people that just put their head down and continue to just grind it out, you know, continue to have those tough days and, and work through it. Um, like I talked about earlier, uh, my journey was, was not easy, you know, um, part of it because I didn't look the part. I mean, everybody knows what they think a basketball player should look like, what a powerful, what a Carl Malone award winner should yeah, look like. Like Carl Malone, right? At the end of the day, yeah, exactly. Big, strong, as if like an ox dunking on people. And I wasn't that, you know, but I think the biggest thing is, as you talk about identity, Cyril, and you just have to be comfortable in who you are and what you stand for. And I'm not going to lie to you, it, it didn't come easy for me. You know, being in the basketball culture, I wanted to be that that kid that could get up there and dunk when I was, you know, a freshman, sophomore in, in high school. I, I wanted to be that guy that would hit fallaway shots and fadeaways and could, you know, dribble 17 times and, and score on anybody, uh, you know, from the perimeter. But I had to realize who I was, and I was gifted with the ability of being slow. And slow and <laughs> tends to work out in your advantage because everybody else is trying to play fast. And I was gifted with the fact that I couldn't couldn't really jump that high because now, you know, when other guys are flying through the air, I'm patiently waiting to use my fakes and, you know, and and being slow really was my advantage. And I didn't realize that until my junior and senior year of high school. I was like, wow, like, you know, I'm I'm more accepting of me being slow and, and taking my time and being more methodical than, these guys who are naturally gifted athletes. And once I learned to accept that, my game took a step to a whole nother level. It's almost like a therapist telling you, you can't love someone else until you love yourself, right? Yes, yes. And once, once I started falling in love with who I was as a, as a player, uh, everything just started to become easier. Uh, you know, I, I realized where, I could, where my spots were um, on the court, where I was affected at, and... You know, I, I don't know how to pinpoint the exact recipe to being a professional athlete or being a, a really good college player, but I know this. I know the recipe that if you show up every day and you can, you can control your attitude, you can control your effort, and you can control how you treat other people, I know whether you want to be a carpenter, whether you want to be an engineer, whether you want to be a professional basketball player, soccer player, I know that recipe works. Because everybody wants to be around someone that treats people the right way and shows up every day and works hard. And those are the three things I try to live my life by. Um, you know, do I struggle on some days? Yes. But does everybody? I, I think so. 
but those are the three rules that I just try to live my life by. And it's worked out pretty well for me, and hopefully it can continue to keep on working because I don't know any other recipe unless you have one. <laughs> no, I love it, George. That's a great recipe, my man. Um, what about George Nguyen going forward? You've got a long career ahead of you, no doubt. Um, but it, it seems to me that you're preparing for your next career. I know you're good in front of a mic. Uh, you came and joined Craig Bowler, Jack, and I. You were better at his job than than you were at mine. So I just want to put that out there. <laughs> but but what do you what what do you see down the line? I know uh, that you had the Driving Dish podcast uh, that was going very well. Just loved the way you you uh, the guests you had on and and the information out there. But what's what's down the line for George? Um, you know, Daryl, I, I love people. I love getting to know people. I love conversating. I, I love, uh, you know, picking people's brain on what they think about certain topics. I know me and you have had a bunch of in-depth conversations, whether that's walks in the hotel or before shoot-around. Um, but, you know, down the line, uh, um, obviously I'd love to get into broadcasting. You know, I, I started doing some podcasting, uh, because I wanted to know what it was like to do the research behind, you know, people that you're talking about. And luckily for me, um, I don't have to do your job where you have to look up every player on every team and, and kind of find fun facts about them. I only have to do one person at a time. And I was like, man, this is a lot more work than I thought. And it gave me a, a greater appreciation for, you know, the people that work, um, you know, behind the scenes uh, and sometimes in front of the camera, uh, with our with our media crew because uh finding information and being this is the toughest part that i find right Carol, is asking the question or, or making comments and still being able to be cordial and friendly with the people that you 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 work with because nobody wants to know the boring stuff about you know nba players or professional athletes they all want to know the good stuff right but then you have the access but you have to find the fine line of not crossing the line and giving information that wasn't supposed to be out there and uh it gave me a greater respect for everyone that works in that field because that is so tough because the information that the fans want could burn a bridge that affects you in everyday life that's right are you going to be willing to sacrifice that two hours to give the fans that they want may not remember it ever again or may not even be listening for a friendship that could have been you know the rest of your life i agree and as a broadcaster especially as a broadcaster working for an NBA team, there, there's also a line in there as well because um, I have to talk about what you guys do, right? And I can't sugarcoat it sometimes. I mean, if, if George Yang is missing that shot, then he's missing it. He's got to look elsewhere, right? But one of my key models is I'm never going to throw a player under the bus, right? And, and whatever I say about that player, I've gone through it myself. So... You know, right. it, it's it's how you say it. It's how you approach it. Um, but it's also knowing that the public is listening and watching, and they don't want to be sugarcoated. They want to know the real deal. They want to know what's you know, you know what's what's George doing that he he shouldn't be doing, or, or what's he got to do? Should he get on the free throw line and see one go in? So I, I get it. And you're gonna make you're gonna you're gonna make a great broadcaster, whatever you want to go into, whether it's TV, radio. You know, guys like David Locke, they have a face for radio, so, you know, that's why they do so well. 
<laughs> I know he's got to uh, listen to this. I hope everybody understands that, Joe. <laughs> but, uh, hey, the last thing I want to, uh, you know, as a bas- pro basketball player, for the most part, we normally, at the end of the season, as we're clearing our lockers out, we go through a exit interview. And so I'm 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 having one with you right now, basically saying, George, you've got this summer. Who knows time-wise when next season is going to start? You got this time to yourself to put that work in again. Um, what is it you're really going to be focusing on uh, besides the normal things, right? Taking care of your body and things like that. Is there something else that you want to bring back that's a d- different George Niang next year, next season? Yeah. I think it, it, with me, it, it's going to be watching um, a ton of film on the defensive end and thinking of ways that I could help the team um, in, in multiple ways. Uh, obviously, you know, with my ability to shoot, that's one thing that I think I could hang my hat on. Um, but then, you know, realizing ways that I can get other guys involved by either slashing to the hoop or putting the ball on the floor a little bit, but without getting out of my role. You right. know what I mean? Right. Um, but obviously, uh, you want to go forward and come in in the best shape uh, that you can. And I think, you know, I've made small improvements, but uh, when you play consistent minutes, though, you realize that there's a reason why guys like Chris Paul and all them play 15, you know, 14-plus years. It's because, you know, the work that they put in their body in the summer is instrumental. Uh, you know, I think I didn't realize that, you know, with getting consistent minutes night in and night out, that the work that you put in the summer is what's going to help your body withhold and not have those nights where you're sluggish, you know, on a back-to-back. And, you know, before it was kind of just, you know, consistently putting in work, but you got to take it to a next level, you know, when you're in the rotation and, and playing night in and night out and sometimes heavy minutes is, you know, now it's your sleep patterns, it's yoga, it's your eating patterns, right. it's when you're working out, how much you're working out. And I think I really want to tinker with that and, and really be all in and have a summer of, of just learning my body even more uh, to take that to the next level. And I feel like once I can, once I get that down, you know, with, you know, watching film on defensively and, and, and being able, I feel like I have the size that I, you know, I should be better than, than what I am on, on both sides of the ball, whether that's, you know, being a better finisher at the rim or being able to get past guys better or, you know, slowing guys down uh, on the defensive end. Uh, those are things that I'm excited to work on this summer. Well, in my mind, I'm picturing this minivan getting some great tune-ups and some new tires, maybe putting some spinners on. I don't know. You know, just something. <laughs> Coming back looking fresh. <laughs> Spinner, listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> New shocks, you know those shocks. You push that button, they go up and down. Uh, I know you're going to come back fresh, George. You're going to come back ready. And uh, I'm fortunate. Yeah, We're fortunate. You, you ever seen Soul playing? That's how this minute. Yes. <laughs> I have seen Soul play. I got you, my man. George, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Appreciate your your time uh, in teaching, um, but also. I just enjoy having a great conversation with you. People in Utah love you and uh, can't wait till next season gets here. Take care of yourself and your family and appreciate you joining Thorough Talk. Thank you so much for having me on, Thorough. You're the best. Thank you, my man. Take care of yourself.
George Yang, joining us for Thorough Talk. Thank you all for joining us this week, and we'll talk to you later. Take care of yourselves. friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.